Well, conflict, it's a part of uh, all of our lives, and we're very, very familiar with it, but we're talking about the rules of engagement. So how do we, um, relationships are the highest highs in our lives, and they provide the lowest lows, so how do we navigate conflict in relationships? And uh, before we talk about the next rule, we're on rule four this week, I just want to read you a thank you note from uh, Joe and Diana Fuller and their, their uh, daughter, Cheyenne. And um, they were here actually in the first service. So um, they wrote this. It was awesome how our church friends reached out so quickly and perfectly. Absolutely everything we needed and could have needed was answered while sitting in the ambulance wondering what to do now before the fire was even out. We started getting answers and no one would be able to ever convince us that prayers don't work. Even when Joe had to go to the hospital and we thought, what now? Everything fell into place. Joe said, I just needed a break from him. But with our friends and many others from all over from church, the answers kept coming. As always, the Lord knew what he was doing. Just to let you all know, if we miss thanking you, we, you have to know we weren't in our right minds. And so we're here and we love you all tremendously, Joe and Diana and Cheyenne Fuller. So I just want to say, as, as a pastor, as your pastor here, one of your pastors, these are, this, this is one of those occasions where I'm just so proud of this church and how you rallied around and before the fire was out, they had a place to stay that night. Um, before the next day, they had a more permanent place to, to stay and move into and, and then you brought meals and you brought, brought all sorts of different things that they needed right away and, and it just, it's just awesome to see um, really what God has designed the church to be, which is a family. That, that looks out for each other. And in families, sometimes we have conflict. And so that's what we're talking about now. And uh, before we get into the message, I just wanted to read to you. Um, I, I haven't done this in a while, uh, but this is the Bridgewater Church policy on masks and vaccines, okay? And uh, so it's from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 3. It says, except the one who, you know, they laughed in the first service, <laughs> I thought, actually, I'm being serious, but um, this is the Bob translation. That is a joke, but um, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, the one who wears masks must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not wear masks must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And so the one who gets the vaccine must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not get the vaccine must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. And so again, I, I, I again want to say how much I appreciate this church, those who are watching online, those who are here in person, and, and navigating this. We certainly haven't done it perfectly, but I appreciate the grace that many of you have extended toward others that are different and that may disagree with you. And so I, I wear my mask almost all Sunday morning, obviously not when I'm up here so I can communicate. More and more, I'm, when I'm talking, when I'm shaking someone's hand and talking to someone this close who isn't wearing a mask, I'm like, what's the point? You know, I just, um, you know, because again, this is, a, for me, it, more than anything, this is about how do you love people who are different than you? How do you love people who disagree with you? How, how do you, you, you know, and, and so that I think is the bigger overarching 
um, truth that God wants us to learn in a time where our country, our communities are, are getting more and more polarized, right? And people are getting more and more upset and we need to be different and we need to be gracious and loving. So rules of engagement, number one, rule number one is it's not about winning, right? And we talked about this. It's not about avoiding conflict and escaping conflict. It's about resolving it. Some of us would rather run away than win, but neither is the right response. Wanting to win more than preserving a relationship is bad. Wanting to escape and run away rather than resolving a conflict is also bad. It's not about winning. And then rule number two is own your part. Even if my part is just this 10% little thing and 90% is Steve's fault, you know, like, or whoever, I need to own my part, right? And uh, that goes along with apologizing, or I like the word confession better than apologize. Because apologize is what we do when someone accidentally does something and, oh, I'm sorry for bumping your coffee or whatever. But confession admits guilt, and I did something morally wrong, will you forgive me? And so if you missed any of those, you can go online to bridgewater.church and listen in. And so this week, we're going to talk about the fourth principle, and it comes out of uh, the legal and wisdom sections of the Bible. Um, the Bible is a book unlike any other because it's not a book. The Bible is a library of 66 books, and they're not in chronological order, and that's very confusing to people. They're placed in the Bible by order of type of book. And so in the New Testament, there's this section of the New Testament called letters, right? And different, they're all letters written. And in the Old Testament, the first five books are the legal section of, of the Bible and just laws and commandments. And then the next 12 is the historical section. And then after that, there's a poetry and wisdom section of the Bible. And so here's what we find in the legal section of God's word. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. So you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This, is, this part of the, those verses, love your neighbor as yourself, is very familiar to me because it's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He was asked, um, excuse me, later on in Matthew 22, he's asked, you know, what is the most important commandment? Well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he added this, and he said, and the second most important law or commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting to me, I didn't even realize before this series that that commandment was in the context of rebuking your neighbor, of confronting someone who's doing something wrong and telling them, you know what, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. In our culture today, this is very countercultural. Because what we have in our society today is, is we have angry, like, attacks at people. That's not what rebuking is or biblically should be. But then on the other side, we have the, oh, just ignore it and pretend it's not there and keep your mouth shut and, and just walk away. And this is saying, no, no, rebuking someone, telling someone they're wrong, confronting them is actually a function of love. It's not an opposite of love. It's not in contrast to love. It actually, if you love someone and you see them doing something sinful, that means you see them doing something that is hurting themselves. All sin hurts us, whether we realize it or not. You might enjoy it, 
but it's still hurting you and it's hurting other people. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to say, I I don't want that to continue. So here's, I've shared this, all my stories I've shared before. Just, I'll just say that now and you know that for the rest of of my sermons. Um, I, I went with Pastor Brett one time to a pastor's conference and we were late. And so I was driving fast. And um, after the conference got over, the next week, I got a speeding ticket. And Pastor Brett said to me, you know, I've been praying about your speed. Because when we went to that conference, like, you were driving crazy. And I didn't know how to say anything, so I just prayed about it. And I'm like, I wish you would have rebuked me because the $120 ticket that you prayed me to get, like, was a lot more painful than if you would have just come and said and... You know, but anyway, he, he's a great friend. But yeah, th- that, that's where if you care about someone, right, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna try to help them. And that sometimes means confronting. And, and so how do we confront? Well, three steps to confronting. Um, well, before we get that, I want to kind of reinforce this with other verses that are in the Bible. Proverbs 27, verses uh, Five and six, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If you have a friend who never tells you you're ever wrong, that is not your friend. Right? Wounds from a friend. Sometimes the the best thing a friend can do is to tell you that, that you're wrong. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end game more favor than one who has a flattering tongue. Again, rebuking in the short term doesn't help a friendship generally. Right? Usually the, the initial response is not good and there's this defensiveness and it's a difficult thing to have a hard conversation. But, but this is saying in the short term, you're right, it may be bad. But in the long run, it, 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 is, it is a better thing. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and they will love you. So this is interesting too because it's saying if someone is a mocker, if someone is a fool, if someone, uh, so, so in Proverbs, a fool is someone or a mocker is someone who knows what's right and knows what's wrong. They just don't care. And, and so they're saying that kind of a person Don't rebuke them because it actually does more harm than good. But if someone is wise, that's the person you rebuke. After the first service, I was talking to someone afterward who I had rebuked, I think, about two years ago. I basically said, hey, this is wrong. You shouldn't do it. It didn't go over well. Stop coming to the church. But is coming back now and said to me, now I understand why you said what you said. It was because you loved me. And what I was doing actually did wind up hurting me and making things much more difficult. But at the time, I didn't understand. But so, so if someone rebukes you, if someone says, listen, there's something you did that was wrong, and, and they understand this concept, take it as a compliment. Because they're saying, I believe you're a wise person. In fact, that's what I said to her. I said, I, I did that because I think you're wise. If I thought you were a fool, I wouldn't have said a thing. You're a mocker. They just let you go. So here's, James is often called the, the Proverbs of, of the New Testament. And uh, here's what it says. It's in the letter section of the New Testament. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, 
Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so it, it is so important. This is, you know, there's some things in the Bible that are mentioned like once or twice, and that, that means they're important. But this is a principle. Confronting other people in the right way, in a loving way, is something that is mentioned over and over and over again in the Bible. This is a big deal. And I think it's a big deal, and it's mentioned a lot because it's so hard for us. I've sat across from multiple Christians who basically said, yeah, um, rebuking someone, telling someone that they're wrong and that what they're doing is sin, I'm never going to do that. That's for the professionals. That's for the pastors. That's for that's at least a deacon or a deaconess, someone like that. But I'm never going to do this. But God's word says, if you love someone, then you will do this. There's a couple things that influence. Uh, so this is one of those sermons that, there's a lot of sermons that are like, this is right, this is wrong, end of story, very clear. Um, confronting people, there's a lot of aspects to this that are, are really wisdom things. Like, it really depends. Like, like, is that person a follower of Jesus Christ? So if someone is not following Jesus Christ, there's a completely different standard of what I will talk to them about. Another question is, do you have a relationship? So if someone isn't following Christ and I have no relationship with them, well, then I'm probably not going to rebuke them about anything. You know, um, you know, if I'm driving and I, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to pull out so I can pull into the parking spot that's nice and close, and then someone whips in in front of me, I'm like, what? I'm not going to confront that person and say, you know, that wasn't very kind. You know, because they, they get out, I don't know who they are, and it's a minor thing. Who cares, right? But if they get out and I'm like, that's my daughter, well, then it's going to be a different conversation, right? Because there's a relationship there and there's a believer. I used to play basketball at, at parks in, in Johnson City and Binghamton where I grew up all the time. And I tell you what, most of the guys I played basketball with and against swore up and down. And so I don't know what the list of swear, you know, I don't know what the list of sins is. Like this is the worst sin and this is the not so bad sin. But in my estimation, swearing is about one of the least sins you could possibly do, okay, compared to lying and all sorts of other things that just are so much more hurt. So I don't think I ever corrected any of those guys swearing, especially the one guy that I was pretty sure was a drug dealer and everybody was scared of him. Um, you know, I'm not... Why? Because it doesn't matter. In fact, even after church, multiple times I've had someone say after church, hell of a sermon, pastor. <laughs> and I just say, thank you. You know, and I don't want to make them feel bad and realize one of the times that happened, it, the, the, the woman's husband noticed and he started picking on her and I felt so bad for her. You know, I'm like, oh, no, it's no big deal. Um, I'm just glad you're here. So, um, you know, just, so, so there's, there's so many factors that come into, do I confront or not? And so here's the three steps um, that, that I encourage you to think through before you confront someone. And so the first thing is deal with your part of the conflict first. It is really hard to take a rebuke from someone who's a hypocrite. Now, we need to. 
okay? And hypocrites can see truth in my life, you know, as well, um, but it's really hard. So, so the first thing you need to do, and we talked about this before, so we won't belabor it, but if, if there's any part of a conflict or if there's anything you've done wrong, you need to confess it. You need to get that right first before you start trying to take something out of that other person's eye, take the log out of your own. And then secondly, overlook what you can when you can. So this is kind of the opposite. You're like, well, you told us if we love someone, we're going to rebuke them and confront them. Yeah, but it, it does depend. Like swearing. Sometimes maybe that's not the most important thing they need to be rebuked about. Uh, maybe you need to choose your battles. Here's some verses that talk about this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And I think we've all seen this where someone maybe has insulted Another individual, maybe I'm sitting somewhere, and someone insults Bob. And Bob just, you know, he just lets it roll off his back, and he just lets it go. And you think, man, that's, that's to his glory that he was able to do that and not, like, you know, correct the individual. Um, and, and so here's the kind of people who, who often uh, are, are good at overlooking offenses. And before we do that, I want to read a couple other verses about overlooking offenses. Um, it is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Interesting. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs, Proverbs 10:12. Proverbs 17:9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And, and so there is a concept in the Bible, again, that this is, this is not a completely clear message because there are times where we definitely need to confront and there are other times where you just, it is to your glory to overlook an offense. Um, so who overlooks offenses most easily? Well, patient people. In fact, that was one of the Proverbs that we just read. A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Patient people are wise people. Patient people are forgiving people, and they, they overlook offenses. Godly people, it's another category of people that it's easier for them to overlook a fault because godly people are like God. That's what it means. And here's a description of who God is from Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. If you're like God, you don't pay back everyone as they deserve. If you're like God, you are compassionate and you are gracious and you are patient. Godly people, it's easier for them to overlook a fault. And then finally, humble people overlook faults, and this is because they see their own faults and brokenness, and they, they say, yeah, but you know, I've, here, this is a great verse. If you struggle, if you take offense easily, this would be a great verse for you to memorize. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So a humble person is thinking, well, maybe I didn't say it out loud, but I've thought that individual is an idiot and a jerk and, you know, is, is a, 
you know, hurting the oxygen supply, you know, or whatever. You know, I, there's times where I've thought terrible things about other people. And so, yeah, so someone said something terrible about me. But you know what? A humble person recognizes, sees themselves, realizes it's not a big deal. Here's the thing. If, if you have been offended often by people from all sorts of different aspects of your life. You are, you are always or, or very commonly hurt by, by, by your teachers and your, your classmates growing up and your coworkers and your bosses have always been terrible and they've always been mean to you and your friends have always let you down and they've always offended you and your family's the same way. If that's true, then one of two things is happening. Number one, maybe you are absolutely terrible at picking friends. And that's actually a problem because that means maybe you're picking friends based upon uh, unconditional acceptance of moral behavior. People with no standards because you know they'll approve of anything you do. The problem with people with no standards is they, they will hurt you because they have no standards. There's no moral quality there. So maybe, maybe the problem is that you're just not good at picking friends and you need to pick a different kind of friend. But maybe the problem is you're just offended just a little bit too much. And you need to have some humility and not always, if you're constantly finding yourself offended and hurt and, and everybody's mean to me, well, maybe, maybe that's not exactly what's going on. And so, but here's a great list of, of questions to ask. Do I overlook this or do I confront? Right? Because it's hard to know. Like, is this a, now sometimes it's easy to know because it's a big deal. But other times I might get upset and I'm like, ah, you know. So here's great questions to ask. Do you talk about the situation and how hurt you are or what they've done? So if you're going to other people and talking about and negatively about what someone's done, first of all, you shouldn't be going to other people and doing that, but you should confront that individual. In fact, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends, Proverbs 17.9. That was one of the verses we read. And so if, if you're talking about it to other people, then you're not, you can't cover it over. You need to go talk to that person. Number two, has it damaged your relationship with him or her? Is it like this big elephant in the room, you know, and... I'm always thinking about it and it's, it's just interfering. Well, then you need to talk about it. Do you find yourself thinking about it days or weeks later? So sometimes you get offended in a conversation and you're like, oh, I can't believe they said that. And then the next day you're like, what was I offended about? I don't even remember. You know that? It must not have been significant, right? Um, but if, if days later, if weeks later, you are still, like it is bothering you, then, then you, need to, you need to say something. Um, have they brought dishonor to God? And again, this goes back to that. Are they even a believer? If they're not a believer, then, then this doesn't matter, right? Why should you hold someone to a standard who, who does not have that standard? The Bible refers to people who have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and asked Jesus to save them from their sins. People refer to those people as blind, why do Christians get upset that blind people can't see? This, this is the dumbest thing. Why do we get so mad that dead people aren't alive? 
Well, that's ridiculous to have that kind of standard. So, so have they brought dishonor to God? This is definitely a Christian thing. So if this person is a follower of Jesus Christ, and not, you know, there's lots of people who call themselves Christians, but they've never made that decision to surrender to God and trust him. But, but that's, that's where you bring that in. And then these, these next two questions, is it hurting others and is it hurting them? Many times people don't even realize that they're hurting others. They don't know how they come across. And, and many times people don't realize how they're hurting themselves. Do you know how that makes you look? Do you know how that undermines your credibility? Do you know, do you know what that's doing to your own life? How you're, you're just hurting yourself. And that's why I'm coming to you, again, out of love. If you feel like you need to confront someone and you're angry, don't do it. Don't do it. You, you need to go to that person in love. And if you can't go to that person in love, you need to change your heart first before you do that. Or maybe someone else needs to go. Um, but, but is it hurting others? Is, is it hurting them? Um, so here's the bottom line. Is, so how do we confront others? If there's just one word that you remember and take away is the word gently. That's how we do it. Gently confront others. You can say the right thing, even at the right time, but if you say it in the wrong way, approach trumps content every time. It will not be heard. It will go badly. It needs to be gentle. And in Galatians, a letter, part of the letter section of the Bible again, um, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Again, gentleness, and this is about, man, this is a burden. This person's sin is a burden to that person. And I'm not here to judge them and kick them and show them how awful they are. No, I'm here to carry that burden. And how I carry that burden is pointing it out. Do you realize you got a 50-pound weight on your back? It's, it's cramping your life. It's hurting you. It's hurting others. Let's, let's, let's get that thing off you. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. So again, it's a function of love, confronting gently. And so how do we confront gently? Um, this is a great... I got this from somebody. I don't remember who. It might have been. I don't remember. But um, OIC, method of confrontation. So it's kind of like, oh, I see. It's a good way to remember it. Observation O, interpretation I, and then confirmation. And so just to give you a, a for instance, let's say um, I blow up at the dining room table and I yell, yell at my boys. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, quit bickering, you Ninnies, I don't know. But I, I yell at them, and Daniel starts crying, and Ryan gets all sullen. And, and so then, so the wrong way to confront me would be after dinner, Becky comes to me and says, you are such a jerk. Do you know what you did to your boys? Like, what is your problem? Okay, so that's not the observation interpretation confirmation approach. So, so if she's to do OIC approach, she would make an observation and say, honey, I noticed that you were really upset at the dining room table today. See, observation, you agree on it. Both parties 
will agree on the observation. They'll say, yes, that's exactly, that is true. And then you proceed to interpretation and, and, and confirmation. Now, now, you may not have interpreted it this way, but I interpreted that you are pushing your boys away and you're going to make them angry and resent you by how you responded to them. Is that what you want? Confirmation. Ask a question. Is this, is this what you meant to get across? And so the result of that, hopefully, is, oh, you know, I, it, it was just a bad day at work, and I just, you're right, honey, I need to change. But sometimes it doesn't go that way. And you need to be, be, be prepared for that, that if you do it everything right, if you confront someone perfectly, just like Jesus would, it, you, you may not have a good response. But the goal, again, of confrontation, the goal of, of, is not to escape the conflict. It's to resolve it. It's to help someone else become more like Jesus and be a better person. And so that's, this is a good way of doing that. Oh, I see. Now, this takes skill and it takes some forethought. There's very few people I know that can do this right off the top of their head. Off the top of our heads, we say, you're such a jerk. What's your problem, right? But it takes time to think this through. In fact, Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless people are impulsive people, and they just say whatever's on their head, and they just it, respond impulsively to things. That's recklessness, and, and, and gentle confrontation is not reckless. It's, it's thought through, and, uh, and doing this takes some time. So let's give a work example, and um, you know, actually, before we do it, we'll, we'll run through all the other um, here's, here's a bunch of different ways, tips of how to confront someone. So number one, plan your words because reckless words pierce like swords. So, so don't be reckless, don't be impulsive, think about what you're going to say, okay? And then, and then talk in person. Said this before as well, email, texting, messaging, all those things are good for information, affirmation and, con and, and confirmation, but never for confrontation. If you're going to confront someone, you need to do it in person, right? If you want to praise someone, text them, great. If you want information from someone, that's great. Send them a message. If, if you want to, uh, you know, confirm, like, are we still meeting? Great. But confrontation needs to be face-to-face. -face. And then remember there may be some facts that you're missing, Okay. Here's a question, and this is where it all depends. If you have a coworker who you believe is having an affair, what do you do? Okay, the Bible says if he's a believer, you need to confront him, right? Because he's dishonoring the name of God, he's breaking his way, you know. But what if he's not a believer? Well, then it might depend on your relationship. Do, do you even know his last name? I mean... Because there is a proverb that says, as one who seizes a dog by the ears is someone who meddles in another man's quarrel. And so we are not to be the um, universal cops for Jesus, confronting everybody about every sin in their lives. Okay, that is not what God has called us to. But if he's a really good friend, even if he's not a believer, 
I would talk to him. But, but here's how it might be. You've got to remember, there may be some facts you're missing. You might say, man, I saw him in the parking lot standing so close to that woman. And, and, then, and then there was that long embrace and they were talking real close, and then after that long hug, she got in her car, he got in his car, and they drove away. What's going on? If you go in guns blazing, like, I can't believe you're cheating on Becky. What a, you know, she is such an awesome, you know, what are you doing? He'd be like, what? But if you go in asking questions, there may be things you don't know. I saw you in the parking lot just having a real serious conversation with someone, and you gave her a hug, and what was that? Oh, yeah, my sister came up from Virginia, and, you know, she's really, oh. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I didn't approach that a different way, right? Observation. Don't jump immediately to interpretation. Like, you know, so, so remember there may be things that, that are missing. Um, make sure you listen carefully. Um, to answer before listening, Proverbs 18.13 says, that is folly and shame. And I had to tell myself that, talking to an individual after this first service. I wanted to jump in with a solution. Here's what you need to do. I'm like, shut up, Bob. <laughs> listen, listen. She probably will tell you something you don't know. You know, and, and so, so even you know, when you're confronted, listen to the other person. What's going on? Choose the time and place carefully around here. You don't want to confront someone about anything serious uh, going out to eat because everybody knows everybody. And I have watched people quiet their conversation and lean in. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, so, but choose the time and place. So if, if, if your boss or whatever, you know, you need to confront your boss about something that you think will be helpful, you know, that they've done wrong, don't do it like at the busiest time of the day, right? Or, or right before the, the project is due or whatever. Um, choose the time and place carefully. But recognize that some of us, like me, I, I like to avoid conflict. I may wait for the perfect time, which is never. <laughs> you know, in fact, there was a conflict recently, a conversation I should have had, and I just realized it's three weeks too late. And... So don't wait forever, but choose the time and place carefully, and then be agreeable. If there's anything you can agree on, agree on it. And sometimes it's even like, oh, you know, I, I couldn't understand why you did that, but now I totally understand. It makes sense to me. It's still wrong, but, but I understand why you did it. Um, be agreeable. Keep it simple and short. So... The worse the confrontation goes, the shorter it needs to be. Because you don't want to... So, so your goal is to state, hey, here's what I observed. This is my interpretation of it. Confirm my interpretation. Okay, and, and if it's done, then, then I'm done. And maybe the response is, I think your interpretation is completely wrong. I will not confirm it. You're out of line. Or your interpretation is correct, but I'm not changing um, leave me alone. All right, the goal then is not to win them over and to convince them to change because that's called an argument where you restate your opinion over and over again and they restate their opinion over and over again. The, the, the goal is right, not to win. So, so the goal is just, you know, I've done my part. I've confronted, 
I've pointed out the sin out of love. I've done it in the best way I can. I'm done. I don't have to keep arguing them and try to argue them into doing what's right. Keep it simple. Um, Dialogue, don't lecture. Don't treat the other person like he's a child. Even if it is your child. And that, that can be hard. And that's where, you know, T- tell me, is, am I seeing things right? Uh, remember the goal. Uh, obviously, it's to, to bring glory to God. And then this is really important. Give them time. Many times, I want to say usually, it may even be usually, but many times when you confront someone, in the moment they don't respond well. But especially if they're godly, over time they will. You see, because you've had an opportunity to think about this. Right, you spent that 